Let's go ahead and start by asking the Lord to bless our time in His Word. Heavenly Father, we, we thank You for this day. We thank You for this opportunity we have to just learn more about You. Know that we, we know that we can come and go to Your Word and understand more about who You are and what You've done. Lord, you help us to see Your will for our lives. Father, help us to have a greater love for You and a greater love for each other. Pray that you would work in our hearts and our minds that as we interact with your word, Holy Spirit, convict us of sin, help us to grow in our faith. Lord, use this word, use your word for your glory. In Jesus' name. So we've been going through Colossians now for a while, and hopefully you guys have seen one of the themes of the Apostle Paul is the, is the centrality, supremacy, the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. Now he's dealing with false teachers that have come into the church. They're teaching doctrines which are opposed to the true gospel. What they've done, as we've talked about over the last few sermons, is they basically introduce practices that at their base level are philosophies according to the elementary principles of this world in verse 8 of chapter 2 and according to the traditions of men. We've talked about how those, those basic principles, right, the philosophy, the, the worldview that they teach is a man-centered, works-based religious system. Because anything outside the gospel of Jesus Christ is man-centered and works-based. We talk specifically in chapter 2, starting in verses 16, through verses 23, we talked about the three areas specifically that were a danger to this church and a danger to us as well. We talked about the danger of legalism, about having a, a standard, a personal standard of righteousness that you apply to others. We all have preferences. We take those preferences and we say that others have to live by that standard or they're less righteous or less mature or less spiritual than we are. And then we talk about the danger of mysticism, right? Verses 18 and 19, and how these false teachers were saying, look, we, we, we saw visions, we had dreams, and you should follow us because of these mystical experiences. And if you don't experience these visions, if you don't have these experiences when you come into worship, then you're less of a Christian. In fact, they even said that, look, God is so transcendent that we can't approach Him, that Jesus Christ isn't enough. We actually need to add angel worship to that. We talked about how that's even a danger today. As a church, so many churches seek after experiences, and they, they elevate experiences over the truth of the Word of God. And then we came through, we, we talked about last time, in verses 20 through 23, the, the, the danger of asceticism, the danger of you having to follow a set of religious rules and regulations in order to earn God's favor, to earn His blessing, to, to, to gain more love of God. And if you do these things, you, you, you don't handle, you don't taste, you don't touch, in verse 21, then you'll be approved by God. You'll be loved more by God. And you'll receive a blessing from God. Paul slams the door on those teachings and he he dissects it and he, and he says that these things, all of these things, in verse 23, have the appearance of wisdom 
But what they really are, they're self-made, man-made religion with a false humility, but they're no value for you in your battle against fleshly desires. Okay? So that brings us to Paul's message today. Paul said the section in chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, which we'll read in just a moment, in which Paul is continuing his his attack, his dissection, his dismemberment even of the, the, the teaching of the false teachers. And he's also transitioning. And the great thing about 1 through 4 of these, these verses are it's a transition to a, the great practical teachings of the book of Colossians. And so Paul is looking for, uh, the, or as far as is talking about the answer here. And he's given the answer to, well, if, if these matters that the false teachers are teaching don't bring true spirituality and don't bring spiritual maturity, then, then what do I need to do? Right? And that's what Paul's going to be dealing with today. Now, how many of you guys have ever heard or ever seen, ever been involved in a ceremony where someone is giving the keys to a city or keys to a city? I've, I've been, in, been involved in a ceremony when I was in, in Boy Scouts in the United States. A local city, we, we gave the keys to the city to a, a local doctor who won an award. Well, when you think about the keys to the city, that, that term goes back to medieval days. And literally it meant that, because by the way, those cities, they would have walls. And they would literally have gates. And so when you give the keys to the city, you were giving the keys to someone that, that you so trust in. Right? You're giving the keys to someone that is of high honor. Right? Someone that you didn't have to worry about them coming back with, a, with an army and unlocking the doors and coming in. Right? So it was a matter of, we're, we're giving this key to the, to the city, to this particular person, because we esteem them, we value them, we want to honor them. Well, today it's kind of got the idea of, well, just really give it to people of prominence. We'll give it to people who are um, celebrities. Give to people who, who do something that's unusual at times. I was actually looking, the city of Adelaide gave the singer Cher the keys to the city in 1990. For those of you that were around at that time, right? She came over and she sang, uh, I guess, a song or a series of songs for the, the Formula Run One race that happened here in Adelaide in 1990. What's interesting also is that. She sold that key to the city in 2012 on eBay for $92,000. So you guys can have that key if you can find it. Well, in thinking about the Christian life, what, what are the keys for us? What's the keys for our spiritual maturity? If, if it's not by legalism or mysticism or asceticism, then, then what are the keys for true spirituality? So what we're going to look at today, we're going to look at the keys to true spiritual life, or the keys to true spirituality. We're going to be looking at two points. We're looking at having a heavenly affection and having a heavenly mindset. Let's go ahead and look at the text. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above and not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. 
So the first thing that Paul says here in verse 3, I'm sorry, verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 1, pardon me, is he says, he has this command, and he says, keep seeking the things above. Right? The word here for seek is the idea of, of a matter of life habit, of, of striving to obtain, a desire to possess. He's talking about where your affections are. I mean, the Puritans love that term because and I think it's a great term because it, it describes what our heart goes after. What are your affections? Right? I have affection for my wife. That's a good thing. Right? I have affections for my kids. I have affections for, for you as the body of Christ. But where are your affections? And Paul said, Look, what are you seeking after? And he makes it, he says, what, what you're aiming at. You know, Brett, Brett won a, a boat. I went to the, the medieval fair in the Ross Valley not too long ago, and they all dressed up, and, and Brett won a bow, and you know, he's got his, going to get his arrows, and he's going to be aiming at something, right? What are you aiming at? Where is your, what is your life heading towards? What is your life pointing towards? And Paul says, look, keep seeking very specifically the things above. We're talking about, we're talking about God, right? We're talking about His ways, His character. Want to understand His will. We're thinking about heaven and eternity with Christ. We're thinking about Jesus Christ our Lord and His sacrifice. And we're thinking about His return. Glory. So when you think about the things above, you're, you're thinking about things that are, that are otherworldly, that are outside the things around us. Because we're all part of our culture. And we don't realize it. One of the ways, if you ever travel, you get a chance to travel overseas, and overseas is good because you, you come into contact with other cultures, and you really get to see how different things are, but also you understand things you, you take for granted. You also get to see things that, how other people live, and it makes you appreciate the, the, the bounty we have in the Western world. You go to places that aren't blessed with this level of, of lifestyle, Right? And sometimes it's the little things you start thinking about. Well, we're all part of that culture that we live in. We don't realize how our minds, our wills, how, how our thoughts gravitate towards the things around us. We, we just accept the way things are. And we don't think about the fact that, you know what, as a, as a member of Christ's body, as an alien and stranger, I need to have a thought, I need to have affections that are oriented above myself, towards heaven, towards God. But when you really, when you really desire something, what do you do? You go after it, right? You you want to buy a home. There's a lot of work, a lot of preparation that goes into buying a home, right? Not only doing the research, finding the house, where is the property, saving the money. There's there are a lot of things that go into having a home. And there's nothing wrong with having a home. Don't get me wrong. Right? But when it's something that we really want, we'll move heaven and earth to get it. I think about, as I was thinking about seeking the things above, I was thinking about what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 13. And in verse 44, he says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found, and he hid again. And from joy over it, he goes and he sells all that he has, and he buys that field. Or in verse 45, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking for fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had just to purchase it. You see, 
We sing for the things above. Paul's saying, look, we're, we're not merely seeking in over the carnal objects of this world. We're focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. We're focused on the things of heaven. Right? And it's interesting, if you think about how do we know what the things of heaven are, and that's where the Word of God comes in. And you want to know God, who God is, right? But we can understand his general revelation in this world, his beauty and his wisdom and, and how powerful he is. But you want to know about this from a salvific standpoint. You want to know about his love and his holiness, his mercy, his grace, his justice. We read his word. And you want to know about his works, we read his word. We, we praise him for what he's, what he's revealed to us. I love what Spurgeon says. You see, in his Spurgeon has a great, a great sermon on the scripture chapter. I was reading through it, and he speaks about how we were dead men, and we've been saved to new life. And in his sermon, he over and over refers to the fact that if we're, if, we're, if we're now raised to life, then why do we want to go and jump back in the coffin? Why do we want to hang around graveyards? Why is our affection for dead things, things that are destined to perish, instead of the things that we're heading toward, which is future glory in Christ? To quote him, he says, Merely carnal objects become as the grave to us. Whether sinful pleasures or selfish gains, they are like a coffin to the renewed man. He cries for liberty. I read something the other day that was really interesting. It was talking about Academy Award speeches and all these stars that come up. And they always, you know, I want to thank my mom, my dad, my auntie, you know, all these things that they, they think. Well, they did a study, and they found that Steven Spielberg has been thanked in, in Academy Award speeches more than God has. How about that? Right? So what you give thanks for demonstrates where your affections really are. Right? You, you, you work hard, you do all these things, and you, know, you, you purchase this house, and people say, oh, that's a nice house. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, it took us a lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of effort. Okay, that, that may be true. But ultimately, are you giving thanks to the Lord? Because He's the one that's giving you the health, right? Health is a, a precious thing for those of you that have been sick. He's giving you the job. Or anyone, anybody who's ever been out of a job, right? He's giving you the finances, the wisdom to manage those finances, right? All of it comes from God. You see, when we give thanks to God, we demonstrate where our affections truly are. It's not that having bad things or having, having things are bad. It's where and whom do we love? Where are our affections? Do we demonstrate our affections? Do we demonstrate our, our thankfulness to God? Do we, so we, do we demonstrate that our affections are towards God by our thankfulness? So the question is, is what do you love in this life more than anything else? Matthew 6, you seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all the things will be added to you. Right? So, what are you afraid to lose? So, not only Paul says, look, keep seeking the things above, right? And he says, that here's our motivation, because that is where Christ is. Right? Christ is there. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. So, our pursuit, our motivation for, for seeking and keeping our affections in a heavenly mindset, a heavenly, heavenly uh, direction, is Jesus Christ Himself, because that is where Jesus Christ is. We don't need legalistic rules. We don't need mystical experiences. We don't need ascetic practices. 
Colossians 2, verse 3 says, In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You want to have wisdom? Know Christ. Know His Word. You want to have knowledge? Know Christ. Know His Word. Our spiritual growth that we, that we grow individually and as a body comes from what? It comes from our head, Jesus Christ. It's a picture of the vine and the branches. Right? Where are the branches? Where does the light come? The light comes from the vine. Right? So our motivation for keep seeking the things above is, is Christ. And the fact that He is in heaven. You know, James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously without reproach, and it will be given to him, as James 1.5. 1 Corinthians 2.12 says, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. Right? God gives us wisdom. God gives us knowledge. Our spiritual, gift, spiritual growth, excuse me, is from Jesus Christ. And not only that, he just adds that tidbit and he says, Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. It's a place of honor. It's a place of authority. Jesus Christ is Lord. And all things are in subjection to Him. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord. Right? Christ takes up the care and concerns of His people. Jesus is there. He's our intercessor. He's our high priest. When you're struggling in your life, guess who's there? Jesus Christ is there. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. You can just imagine Him leaning over. So, Jesus Christ is at the right hand of the Father. Right? Jewish tradition is interesting. It says that in Jewish tradition that only God is seated. That angelic beings stand around God. So, that's why Peter, you read in Acts 2, when he's preaching towards all the Jewish people, Jewish, they're in Jerusalem, right? It's Pentecost, in Acts 2, one of those arguments is that Jesus Christ ascended to the Father and is now seated at His right hand because He wanted to demonstrate that Jesus Christ is equal to God. Right? That's why the Jews killed Jesus. Right? He said it was blasphemy to say that He was equal to God. So we, our motivation is for seeking the things above is that we know Jesus, right? We want to have wisdom. The answer is turn to Jesus. We want to have knowledge and understanding of God's word and the world we live in. We turn to Jesus Christ. Look, my, 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 uh, my wife and I, we, obviously my son is potty trained. He's older now. We're, we're beginning that process. Well, we'll continue that process with my daughter. But I remember when we were potty training my son, we used to have as an incentive to go number two. I don't want to get crass, but to go number two and give an incentive were Hot Wheels cars, right? In the U.S., they're only 99 cents. Here, they're like five bucks, right? So it was an, it was an easy, uh, easy incentive, right? And until he started getting going, and then we had to switch to something else. But you know, it was an incentive for him, right? And the idea is we wanted him to focus on the incentive. We wanted to focus on something other than the actual act that he was doing. Because, you know, young kids, they're, they're a little bit fearful of that, right? So you, you get them to focus in on something else. 
Well, true spirituality involves a continuous striving for Jesus Christ, a, a love for him, a focus on him, right? Not on this world and what it has to offer, right? Like I said, the things in this world aren't necessarily bad, but when, it's about where's your focus of your life, right? Where are your affections? I love what Paul says in Philippians. He says, well, whatever things were gained to me, those things have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. I love that he says, I count all things to be lost. The word here in the Greek is, is rubbish, is dung. I count all things to be nothing in view of, of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. But Paul gives us a reason. It only gives a motivation. And if you look back up the very first sentence, or very first part of the sentence, he says, if you've been raised up with Christ. So he says, it's an if-then statement, right? But it goes back to the fact that it's a first-class conditional statement in the Greek, Jordan. So you could say, since, it's assumed to be true, since you have been raised with Christ, because it's only because we've been raised with Christ that we can now actually seek the things above. In other words, because you have been saved, right? He's talking about Christ's death and resurrection. It's a picture of baptism, right? You, you, baptism, you're, you're saved, you, you want to be baptized, you go to be baptized, you, you go down in the water and you come up. That picture is you're, you're being buried with Christ, your old life is buried, you come up, your sins are washed away, you've been raised with Christ to new life, right? So if you've been raised with Christ and you have, then keep your affections on Christ, right? So it's, he's talking about our union. And when we think about our union positionally, right? We're, we're united with Christ. Ephesians says we're actually seated in the heavenlies with Christ positionally. Your seat is there, right? Your seat is there with your name on it. You might not be sitting in it yet, but in God's eyes, you're a saint. You've been set apart, right? It's not, you're not fully realized yet. It's an already, not yet mentality, right? You're, you're, you're positionally there. It's not fully realized, and it won't be fully realized until what? Until Jesus Christ comes back, right? And we receive glorified bodies forever with him. When you think about presidents in the United States, there's only, there's only a few, right? There's only a few that are alive. We only had 40, what do we have to do? 48, sorry, that's the number. There's not been so many of them. So one of the things about presidents of the United States is after they leave office, they're not called, you don't, you don't call them former presidents. They still keep their title, right? So President Obama is still President Obama. Now he's not actually in office. President Jimmy Carter, President, President Reagan's past, President Bush, right? They're, they're still president according to their title, even if it's not yet actualized, or sorry, if it's not still actualized, it's not still in effect. Well, that's kind of the opposite for us as believers, Right, we've been given the title of saints. We've been raised with Christ and seated in the heavenlies, but we've not yet taken the office. Right? Positionally, we're, we're there, if not actually there yet. And so that's Paul's point here. He says, if you died with Christ, if you've been raised with Christ, then seek the things above. That's where your home is. That's where you're going. That's where your seat is reserved. Right? Why are you so focused on all these things in this world when you're a citizen of heaven. That's Paul's point. Is your affections. 
So the key to, to spiritual living, the key to, to having true spirituality is, a, is, a, is a heavenly affection. And you think about pagans in Paul's day. They'd go to their, their gods and their goddesses and they would offer sacrifices, right? And they were trying to appease that god or have that god or goddess bless them or give them something. But there wasn't any moral demand made on their lives. In fact, there was a lot of immorality and fornication and idolatry is what it was, but it was all blended together. There wasn't any moral demands. That's why Christians were different. That's why Christians even have the name Christian. In Antioch, they were called little Christ running around. They were acting like Jesus. So when you think about those pagan religions and you think about the early Christians and how different they were, that's why they were maligned and impugned and mocked. Because they refused to live their lives gratifying the lust of the flesh. And instead, what did they do? They lived for Jesus Christ. They had heavenly affections. They were new creations in Christ and they had access to God through Jesus Christ, just as we do. Like heavenly affections means you're more focused on what pleases Christ than what pleases you. You know, one of the things I read in the commentary is interesting. He said, take the test. Look at your bank account. Where does your money go? You spend as much on the things of the kingdom of God as you do on your entertainment. Look at your calendar. Where do you spend your time? Right? Look at your home. Look at all the items you've collected over the years. What do you display? What is most precious to you? Heavenly affections means that we are continually in our hearts, oriented in our hearts toward the things above versus the things of this world. Right? It's a conscious effort, right, and a continuous effort. So Paul says, look, not only do you have to have heavenly affections, to seek the things above, but he says in verse 2, set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. So you're, you're, you're seek the things above with your affections, but you're also, what, to have a heavenly mindset. You're to, you're to think, you're to orient your will, you're, you're making a determined process where I'm thinking about the things above. Because look, brethren, the battle always begins in your minds. Right? The battle always begins in your minds. And you have to decide, you have to continually dwell on the things above. Dwell on God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. What, what is His nature? What are His attributes? Who is Christ? What has Christ done for you? What's our response to that? What worship and obedience? What's God's will? How do we know God's will? It's in his word. We're, we're meditating. We're thinking on these things. What's our duty to Christ in light of all the things that he has done for us? Romans 12 says, Be not conformed right, to this world, but what? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Right? It's about bringing the word of God to your, to your mind on a regular basis. Transforming your thinking. Remember, we're part of our culture, we just accept the way things are. We don't even think about it. Right? That's where the word of God comes in. The word of God informs our minds to, to who God is and his standard. And he shows us how far we fall from that. 
Because it's like we have to orient our minds to focus on the things above, or our minds will naturally be what oriented towards the things of this world. We will be conformed if we're not being transformed. Where look, the things that we believe should affect the way we live. And that's what Paul says. So so we have to think the right things. We have to have the right beliefs based off the word of God. Otherwise, we're just making it up on ourselves. Right? Not the things of this earth. He's very specific. Like, don't, don't focus on what's below, focus on what's above. Not the fleshly desires, but the Lord. <coughs> Philippians 4. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good repute, if there is any excellence in anything worthy of praise, dwell or think on these things. Romans 12, 1 and 2, the whole thing is, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living and holy sacrifices, acceptable to God, because this is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Right? How do you prove the will of God in your life? Well, you're, you're being transformed in your mind and you're living it out. So others see you and they see Christ. Look, I appreciate people that are consistent, right? And we, we don't like hypocrites. We want people to be consistent with, hey, this is what I believe, I'm going to live it out. Have you guys heard of, very good, right? Kangatarianism. I, only in Oz, right? Kangatarianism. It's vegetarians who only eat kangaroo meat. Right? This is true. Kangatarianism. Find this in the States. This is the kangaroos. Right? So what they say is, they say that, that we don't eat meat, but we're willing to eat kangaroos because they're natural. Right? They're, they're organic. Because they only eat natural things. Right? And so they're willing to eat kangaroo meat. They're called kangatarians. They're consistent, though, right? See? Look, but what, what do you think really does determine your behavior, right? If you focus on worldly things, then you'll learn to love these things, right? You must not only seek heaven, but you must also think heaven, to quote J.B. Lightfoot. You must choose to fill your mind with the things of God. And these things, as you fill your mind, they would determine how you live, how you act, how you respond to others. This world and the philosophers in it, they have vain traditions. And, and those vain traditions and those vain philosophies, they, they seek to hinder our relationship with the world. But we must focus on what his, world, what his word says, to know Christ and know his will better. So not only that, Paul says, look, keep seeking the things above, set your mind on the things above. Right? Focus your mind on it as the, as the second key, heavenly, heavenly mindset. But then he gives two reasons why you should do it. Right? He says, you know, just, don't, don't just do it. Here we give you a couple reasons. The first one is, he says, look, in verse 3, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. Basically he says, look, you have died. Right? You, you've died to the world system. That's what he's saying. He says your past life is gone. It's dead. And if you're dead, to use Spurgeon in his sermon, why do you keep wanting to climb back in the grave? Right? If you're dead, then why are you hanging around graveyards? Right? That's what this world is. It's a, it's a graveyard. Right? Everything that, that you pursue after 
what will lead to death. So we die to this world system. We're a new creation in Christ Jesus. The penalty for sin has been paid by Jesus Christ. Romans 8 said there's no condemnation for us in Christ Jesus. And then I love this. In Colossians 1, 13, he says, For he, Jesus, he's rescued us from the domain of darkness, and he's transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. God has rescued us, and he's transferred us to a new kingdom. We have a new master. Look, we don't want to hang around graveyards. It makes no sense, right? We don't want to, to, to have our affections, our love for this world, hinder our relationship with Christ. We, we want to have a mindset that focuses in on God and his word and not focused in on what this world has to offer us. And it, it's, it's tough at times. It's easy. It's easy to say, well, I, I, you know, I'm not really, I don't really love money. Right? But then all of a sudden something comes in your life and you have a big bill or a medical expense and, and all of a sudden you don't have enough to cover your needs. It, then it's hard to say, well, Lord, am I going to trust you to provide? Right? It's easy to say, well, I don't, I don't care about having a house when your best friend just buys a brand new house. Or it's easy to say, well, you know, I don't have to have the nicest things when, you're, when your good buddy pulls up in a brand new car. Right? Look, Paul says your, your life, your life is hidden with God. He says you've died, your life, it's hidden. What he's talking about here is it's a, it's a close association. If, if we're in Christ and our life is hidden with God, then, it, then it, 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 it talks about the fact that we're participants in Christ's death and resurrection, that, that we're literally with him. It implies a security, a guarantee of the future, a protection from evil. Look, that's where our treasures are, in Christ. All wisdom and knowledge, they're found in Christ alone. It reveals our true identity. You know what your identity markers are, to use our, our modern-day terms? Oh, what's my identity? You know, what's my identity marker? My identity markers is, well, my identity markers in the world's eye would be, let's see, I'm, I'm a white, heterosexual, male, American citizen from the South that has Christianity as my religion. That'd be, those are my, my identity markers, right? In Christ. Not in Christ, but in this world, excuse me. But in Christ, what's my identity marker, right? What's the thing that, that, that says who I am? I'm in Christ. That's it, right? Galatians 3.28, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus, Right? Now, we have these identity markers that the world says, right? You have to fill them out on those forms, male, female, background. You know, we all have those identity markers. But in Christ, there, there's no other line items, right? We're not Aussies. We're not Americans, right? Not original. We're not American Indian, right? We're not African, not European. We're in Christ. That's it. That's the only identification markers that will be eternal, he says your life is hidden in Christ. Even if we don't see it yet, and sometimes it's hard, right? There's saints in this room at times that we've you've butted heads with, you've had arguments maybe, maybe you've each, right, sinned against each other. Right? We're all positionally saints, even though we still struggle with the flesh, right? We don't always demonstrate it perfectly, and we won't until Christ returns. But we are 
saints. We are in Christ, and our lives are hidden in God. But when, when you think about your identity, and you think about what's, what's going to happen to us, we're going to be glorified. There's nothing that, that identifies or, or that, that, that will change that identification. We have security in Christ. So Paul says, look, set your mind on the things above because you have died. Your life is hidden with Christ. And he says, look, second one is when Christ, our life, is revealed, then you will be revealed with him in glory. So the second reason is that, what? You will be revealed with him in glory. I love the way Paul says here, look, Christ, he just kind of throws it at us. When Christ, oh, by the way, he's our life, right? You think about Christ, our life, our spiritual life comes from him, right? It's not by a mystical experience where we worship angels and we try to get some visionary experience. Our life is through Christ. We read his word, right? We, we understand who he is. Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. We, we submit willingly. We obey we're filled with the Holy Spirit. He transforms us from the inside out. There's what's evident in our life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, right? The fruit of the Spirit. Those things are evident in our life. Jesus is our life. Why would you turn to something else if you have the source of life at your disposal? Of eternal life, of spiritual life. A lot of times we think about life and we think about, oh, my life is with Jesus. And it's, we think eternal life. We don't think about the fact that we have the power now through the Holy Spirit to obey God's word, to resist sin, right? And have a deep fellowship with the Almighty through Jesus Christ. I'll just kind of throw that out there. Oh, Christ who is our life. But he says, look, when Christ is revealed, he's talking about the second coming. What he's talking about here is, look, look one of the reasons that we set our minds on the things above, is there will be a second return of Jesus Christ. For those Bible studies that are still going through Second Peter, home groups, uh, we, we've been through, uh, and I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding, Angie in the back. Yeah, we've, um, we've been going through Second Peter as, as a church for a while, but one of the arguments that the, uh, that the false teachers in Second Peter make is, well, it's been so long, and this is, this is back in Peter's day. It's been so long that for Jesus not to have returned that we might as well live the way we want and indulge in the flesh. It's been so long. What Peter says is what they don't understand is that God is patient. He's not wanting anyone to perish, but all come to repentance. Right? So Christ will return, and that should influence our thinking. It says in I love Revelation 19. Looking forward to when, when Steve gets there in his study. It's just one of my favorite passages. Uh, Revelation 19, verse 11. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on it is called Faithful and True. And righteousness, and in righteousness, he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written on himself, which no one knows except himself. And he is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine lining, white and clean, are following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. 
and on his robe and on his thigh he has the name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus Christ will return, right? And the great thing, and, and Paul continues that, he says, well, if Jesus Christ is going to return, he says, look, then you also will be revealed with him in glory, right? If you're still in Revelation 19, look up a few verses, the verse 7, and it says, let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride, right, the church, has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. So he's given us fine linen, bright and clean. And then look, I don't know if you caught this the first time, look at verse 14 in the same chapter. And the armies which are in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. When Christ is revealed and he comes back, guess who's going to be with him? We are. You see, our hope for the future determines how we act today. Our hope for the future determines and helps us to have a heavenly mindset. I took my kids to the SA Maritime Museum. We were looking at, they have a large, um, I don't believe it's a schooner, smaller than a schooner. They have a large boat there inside. It's really interesting. They restored it. And he, he kept asking me about the ship's anchor. Now, tell me, what's this anchor? It's huge, huge anchor. And so I'm describing it to him. And I'm like, well, you know, the ship drops the anchor and it, it digs into the, the soil and it holds the ship in place. And, you know, my, my son's six-year-old, so he goes, well, well why? Well, because if you don't have the anchor, the ship will move on its own. Well, well, why would you not want that to happen? Well, then the ship moves on its own and it, it goes where you don't want it to go. It's buffeted by the waves. It, it drifts away. Right? It has, it's not securely fastened to where you want the ship to stay. Brethren, look, our anchor, the anchor that holds believers, that holds us to Christ in the midst of terrible opposition, is our hope. Right? That's what Peter tells the churches in 1 Peter. Right? They're undergoing terrible persecution. He talks about a, a living hope. We, we have a hope, right? Jesus Christ will return, and he's going to glorify us, that we will be glorified with him. 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. We will receive glorified bodies. <coughs> Those glorified bodies will not die. 1 Corinthians 15, it says that, that and people quote this at funerals, and this isn't a, it isn't necessarily a bad thing. It says, oh, death, where is your sting? Death has a pretty good sting right now, right? The, the point of Paul is that when we were like Christ, when we receive glorified bodies, when he returns, there will be no more death. Right now we have victory over sin. But when he, he returns and we have glorified bodies, there will be no more death, and death will never, ever have any more sting for us. See, our hope in the future helps us to have a heavenly mindset now. One of the things, if you turn over the, just one page, Colossians, Paul says at the beginning of Colossians when he's introducing himself and he's just getting, to, getting 
getting, getting going, if you want to say it that way. He says, verse 2, To the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Verse 3, We give thanks to God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, and praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints. That's great. That's, a, that's something you'd be commended, right? We have a love for the saints, a, a faith in Christ. But notice what verse 5 says. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth and gospel. So their, their faith in Christ, their increasing faith in Christ, and their, their increasing love, agape love for each other, is based on the hope that they have. Right? It's a motivating factor. You see, so that's when Paul says, look, you need to set your mind on the things above. The reason you should do it is that you've died with Christ and your, your, your life is hidden with Christ positionally. But he also says, look, Christ is going to return and you're going to return with him. Praise the Lord that this life isn't all that there is. You know, what our minds dwell on controls our behavior. Before Paul gets into how you should act, and that's what the rest of the book of Colossians, as we'll get into, is about. Before he gets on how you should act, he stops and he pauses and he says, look, these are the keys to the spiritual life. Set your affections on the things above and set your mind on the things above. Because what you love and what you think about will determine how you act. Brothers and sisters, coming to church once a week and feasting on a buffet of the Word of God doesn't supply you for the rest of the week, right? You need to spend time in the Word of God, right? Many of you may go after church and go eat a big buffet. If you, plan, if you think that that's going to satisfy your hunger and your body's needs for the rest of the week, you've got another thing to think about. And that's the thing about the Word of God. We need to feed ourselves daily. Meditate on the Word of God. Right? Well, think about where your time is. What are you spending time on? If you struggle with spending time in the Word of God, start small. Read the same chapter over and over. Right? Read the same few verses. Meditate on it. Think about what it means in its context. Right? In this original, original letter. Where is it in the context of the larger book? And then what does it mean? Right? What's the application? Your mindset determines your action, right? And we want a mindset that comes from the Word of God. You know, Wycliffe Bible translators estimate there are 7,099 living languages on this earth right now. At least a portion of Scripture has been translated into 3,312 of those languages. And the New Testament is available in 1,521 more languages. But the complete Bible has only been translated into 670 languages. Brothers and sisters, for those of us in the Western world, there's no reason, there's no excuse for not having a mindset that's set on heavenly things. Not having a, there's no excuse for us not spending time in the Word of God. What a blessing and a privilege it is to have the Word of God translated that we can read it and trust it and live by it. So Paul's keys for true spirituality, Paul's keys for your spiritual life, for what? Seeking, he says, seek the things above, have heavenly affections, 
And he says, set your mind on things above. Right? Have a heavenly mindset. So I encourage you to do today. I encourage you to do Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace. Father, help us to have our affections and our minds set on you, what you've done, who you are, your will. Lord, I pray that our hope of heaven, our hope of your return would influence the way we think. And that in turn would influence the way we live. Lord, Father, help us to be consistent, not hypocrites. Pray that we would go forward and we would live a life separate from this world, uh, in the world, but not of it. Help us to love you and love the things of God, people, more than we love the things of this world. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this time. Just praise your name. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.